Simmons Everly handing it off. McMahon on the cyclone front. Oh, it's a great stop by Samsonov. What a stop for your first of the period. His best stop of the season. You got to give the, all the credit in the world to Sammy tonight. He was, he was our best player tonight, and they had some chances, and he made some unbelievable saves when he had to. It's been tough for him the last couple weeks, and um, you know I think tonight was a really good step in the right direction for him, the way he played, the way he battled for us and competed. And, um, you know, when he needed to make those big time saves, he, he did. So um, that was great to see. He was great. I mean, he, you know, he looked at that third period save that he made, and then he, it was his first shot of, of, the, uh, of the period that he had faced. I don't know, you know, it's over 10 minutes of, of game time with no shots, and then you got to make a big save. So, yeah, I thought he was excellent. Huge, uh, huge, huge saves in the second period as well. So, uh, tremendous job for him. Really happy for him. Morning Joe Sports at 590 at the Van Ben Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs go two and two on their Western road trip, capped by yesterday's 3-1 victory over the Seattle Kraken. Uh, an empty netter. Added a little bit of a margin there. But uh Ilya Samsonov picked up the victory because he was capable of making like a couple of saves. And literally it was only a, a couple of saves. It was 16 of them to get the victory. Mm-hmm. But Brent, I know you're a big fan of advanced stats. I love them. You expected goals against at five on five. Yeah. 1.8. So almost mm. two, and he only gave oh. up one. So, and honestly, if you watch the hockey game, you will agree with that assessment that it was not a high quantity of uh, saves that needed to be made by no. Ilya Samsonov, but the quality, especially after long layoffs of not making a For save, sure. like he was deserving of the belt. If you're not going to give it to Austin Matthews every game, which honestly I'm not, I'm not against either. Still my favorite clip from, I know I'm a sicko for watching all those leaf blueprints yeah, no, and behind the scenes stuff, but it's still my favorite clip this year. Well, second favorite. The best one was when Benny says, I can't score a goal, but I'll hit the bodies for you guys. But <laughs> when Matthews scores the hat trick against the Canadians, and then he goes to give out the belt the next night after having scored a hat trick and the boys just start yelling, keep it. Yeah. Keep it yeah. at him, which again, like there should, should almost get be his own belt. That's exactly what it should be. It should be like Matthews is the heavyweight champ. Uh, and then sorry, wrestling fans, uh, if this isn't still a thing, but it's like whoever gets the other belts is like the intercontinental champ or whatever. It's like a slightly <laughs> lesser championship. Sorry, I hate to break it to you. Are you, are can you tell me if that's true or false? I feel like both the I guys know, behind yeah. the glass are very excited to talk wrestling now and we're not going to do that. Uh, but and yeah, you should give it to Samsonov. He deserved it. It is funny how these things get changed. Like, you know, we all have different or things get scored. We all look at different uh, sites. I use Money Puck a lot for a lot of my advanced stats. They have high danger chances as one uh, for against Samsonov last night, which, uh, you know, I maybe really? would quibble with, disagree with uh, as well there. Yeah. So his natural stat tr- trick has it uh, high danger shots against a six. And yeah. He had five so saves. A little bit different there. And I was saying I test would not back me, uh, would not back them up on that. So, yeah. I look at the numbers there and you see it. It was a guy who had to be good in bunches. And, you know, I've done this in the past and I don't want to make, I don't want to extrapolate too much from one start. I think the biggest takeaway to have is just, Hey, he can now exhale. He could feel like he's back to a certain extent and hopefully just kind of continue to build. But that's what great playoff goaltending looks like. Sometimes it looks like what you saw from Thatcher Demko the other night where you do the Grant fear and you let him four, but you don't let in the, the fifth one. Sometimes that's what it looks like. But a lot of times it looks like what you see from Samsonov behind good teams where you're sitting there and the hardest thing you're doing in the game for long stretches of it 
is staying mentally engaged in the game where you're mm-hmm. sitting there and the puck is completely caved in the other end of the ice. And even when it comes down on your end, there's a little cycle play and then it's chipped out the other way. And that's that. That's what playoff goaltending looks like is standing around for long stretches of time and then being forced into the most difficult task you could possibly be asked to do. And that's kind of what you saw from Samsonov last night. So I don't want to sit here and tell you he's all the way back, but I don't think it's going to take too many more of those for him to feel that way. And guess what? Once he feels that way, he is. I mean, it sounds like a fic- like we're being fickle with the goaltending. Like, oh, one start and all of a sudden, Ilya Samsonov's this team starter and Martin Jones, all the good work that he's put forth this season is thrown by the wayside. But yeah, that's the nature of goaltending. Yeah, sorry, Marty. <laughs> I told you. He, Martin Jones, and this analogy doesn't work because starting pitchers aren't allowed to come back in the game, but he is a great sixth inning guy. Yeah. He came in. Yeah. He got the hold. Yeah, yeah man. He, there's, a, there's a walk in there. He might have hit a batter. Things got a little hairy at times. No damage done. I mean, he gave up goals, but you understand what I'm doing here. But yeah. the ERA, he picked up the hold, and guess what? Again, the analogy doesn't totally work because starting pitchers aren't allowed to come back, but he gives the ball back to Ilya. <laughs> yeah. Um, he wasn't you know even what supposed he to be here He's today. Chad Henney coming in to complete, like, th- two first downs sure. for the Chiefs in that championship game a couple he years ago. He wasn't supposed to be here today at all. Was not supposed to factor in. I mean, if we did, I mean... Listen, people made fun of us for our conversations and the the, the hand-wringing around Martin Jones mm-hmm. going through waivers and the number of depth goaltenders the Leafs have lost yes. through that process over the last couple of years and understanding, one, the injury history of Joseph Wall and, two, the nature of goaltending in general in the NHL, guess what? Proved to be a, a, a very prescient conversation because he was forced into duty and where would the Leafs have been for the last couple of weeks or a month without Martin Jones, mm-hmm. they would have been screwed. But thanks for your your help, Marty, and you're you're still this this team's backup. And honestly, when Joe Wall returns, I think you you feel nervous about the possibility of running him through waivers again. So maybe How you carry you not? maybe you carry three goaltenders, and maybe your cap situation and and his salary allows you to do that. But at the moment, you go with the guy who's going good, and it's mm-hmm. only one game. But like I said. The ceiling's so much higher with a guy who was one of the best goaltenders for the entirety of last season compared to the 34-year-old who hasn't had a save percentage above 900 in more than a half decade. Yeah, and let's let's extrapolate beyond just what we saw on, on Sunday. I know it's weird to do because it was so long ago, but you go back to that Wings game, you know, I know, I know that they came back and scored mere moments later. But he made big saves to hold the Leafs in the end of that Wings game that should have felt like a building block. So if you actually want to do the crawl or, you know, crawl, walk, and then run, he crawled in that Detroit game, kind of getting his bearings back, okay, made some saves, he gave the team a chance. You absolutely have to say he did that. He was walking in that in that game last night. He didn't have to do much, but he had to get his kind of bearings, start to take some more steps. And then, again, I... I don't want to sit here and say he's all the way back if you see it again on on Wednesday because goaltending's fickle and no one's ever all the way back until you become Ilya, Shuz- you know, Shosturkin or Sorokin or one of the guys we think of, and then even that is fleeting at, at times. Mm-hmm. But that's the way I look at it. It is really just that simple for him to get back in the good graces, not only of the fan base, those guys. They needed to see that from him. And can you imagine what would happen if, and granted, they were awesome chances. There were 10 bell saves, but if one of those went in, where they say, we've given up 13 shots tonight. Mm. It was the first shot we gave up of the period. And yeah, was it a the greatest of A scoring chances? Yes, it was. But what would the feeling be on that bench 
fair or not, of we can't even give up a shot and no. look at what we've got here. So it was massive. As my, We're all sitting here talking about how important it is for Ilya Samsonov to feel good about himself and get himself built back up. Guess what? All super important. Those guys, respect, trust, two-way street, they got to feel it from him as well, and it was massive for them to see that last night. Well, I mean, that's, again, you, you want to talk about the nature of goaltending and not being fair, and us as non-goaltenders mm-hmm. having a difficult time to parse it outside of the numbers. Well, it's so hard for me because you know I like to see five or six shots and didn't get that till like halfway through the second period. Right. I mean, go back to Saturday, and it's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, point me in the direction of the save that Martin Jones you should have made. Maybe there's one, but yeah. like, yeah. Six goals on 21 shots. That's, I mean, that's that's it. No bueno. Yeah, I think the conversation you're saying that the Leafs could have been having about uh, Ilya Samsonov yesterday was happening. Yeah. At least in sure. my household after the game on Saturday. Uh, definitely in my cell phone as well. Some angry group chats. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Leafs win a game, and the pressure is lifted a little bit, and it'll last a while because they don't play again until Wednesday when they get the Jets uh, back in Toronto and then... Uh, another Jets game on Saturday on Hockey Night in Canada. Mm, maybe Corey Perry was watching this Leafs-Oilers game oh. that started this road trip, and and that was, you know, the the final nail in the coffin, the the, the final decision-making factor for him when he decided which team he would join. I mean, there's no reporting around his uh, the interest uh, in him as far as the Leafs are concerned. I saw some some lightning rumblings and we'll talk to our pal Frank Cervelli after eight o'clock about it as well. But uh, he ends up signing or a reported signing in Edmonton. Now, apparently there's some cap manipulation that has to take place for the Oilers. Even if they're signing him to a prorated minimum salary uh, as the Oilers are just like, they cannot lose Uh, franchise record, 13 Mm -hmm. consecutive victories. Um, I mean, here's the good news if you're a Leafs fan. Sure. If Corey Perry is giving you fits in the postseason, <laughs> yeah. it's it's in a cup final. Yeah, that is that is true. That's uh, that's all well and good. I think that, you know, I, I will talk to Frank. Obviously, he'll, he'll have more insight on this. I imagine at some point in time we'll hear from Corey Perry. I do wonder how much of it, and it's not, this isn't, I've said this about a lot of guys. I'm not saying this about Corey Perry. This isn't that he doesn't want the smoke of Toronto. I think he would love being a Leaf and playing in a market that matters, but given the way things ended in Chicago, given the still cloud of doubt, at least from a public perception of what exactly it was that happened there. I do wonder how much the element is just, you want to go to a quieter market and don't take this as nobody cares about hockey in Edmonton. But I just think that one, it's not as big a media market Two, It's not in the center of the hockey universe. And three, they're winning all the time. And Connor McDavid plays there. So they got some other things Mm -hmm. to talk about. So I wonder how much of it was that element you know, the other part of it as well that I, I go back to is that, you know, what exactly the Leafs looking for in the mix on that bottom six? I mean, McMahon comes out to put Robertson in last night. Obviously, it proved, you know, proof positive. But if you think you want a Corey Perry type in your bottom six, that's way closer to Bobby McMahon than it is Nick Robertson. And, you know, he's a different animal than both those guys completely. But I do wonder how much of it from the Leafs perspective. And again, we didn't hear a ton about this. I wonder, I, I think they had interest. You always want to have kick tires, but I wonder how much they were interested in it a, a, as well. I would have been all over it if I was them. I think it is exactly the kind of guy, you know, on the ice that this team needs, but I I can understand from, from both sides perspective saying, eh, this one's too hot here. Uh, we haven't mentioned Nick Robertson. And nice talk. <laughs> he's been efficient, right? Like getting out of the lineup, but he scored four goals in his last six games. Uh, only plays eight fifty two yesterday, and yeah, this is a guy that's that's loath to get um, power play mm-hmm. opportunities. 
But, I mean, his job, understanding the defensive limitations of the player, yeah. his job is to put the puck in the back of the net. Yeah. That's happening He's shooting for him. Max Domi. Yeah, I, I, right. I mean, that's happening for him. It's mm-hmm. got to be unbelievably frustrating if he finds himself out of the lineup again on Wednesday. Oh, my God. Like, all... It's funny. I was actually thinking about baseball players with him. If you'll hear this about guys who don't get in the lineup that often who are asked to pinch hit, it's hard. Well, you don't get to take reps every day. And, you know, baseball is a much more rhythmic sport than hockey. But I can only imagine how tough it is for Nick Robertson to, one get in the lineups so sporadically feeling like every shift there's a magnifying glass on you. And, you know, I know people out there are going to say, Oh, I want to have, I want to have the guy playing like there's a magnifying glass on him every single shift. That's the way I think some people would look at it, but it's just not realistic to go about that way. The, you see it from him and it's gotta be frustrating to know one that the production you are having, which again, extrapolated out to if this is a, and doesn't hockey doesn't work this way. It's not basketball, but it's, you know, extrapolated out to a guy who gets 15 minutes a night and you feel like he probably is going to produce more. You look at a guy from his perspective, if he gets in the lineup on a more consistent basis, what do his counting stats kind of look like? So yeah, it's got to be frustrating, but from a least perspective, it's also frustrating. They've been sitting here saying, we've been waiting for this guy to arrive. And this is the weird thing about prospects. Like he's, it feels like he's 35, he's mm-hmm. 22 years old. Uh, this is kind of the time he's he's supposed to arrive and i just i know Bourne mentioned it on the broadcast but i had the exact same thought watching it after scoring in the game how do you not shoot when you're coming in on that three on one with riley and i understand what you're doing like you Mm -hmm. want to be a good teammate you want to defer rip it rip it well i think the kraken also understand like the situation when he's on three they gave him the the lane to shoot there on the three on one two understanding that he was going to defer and pass yeah i i was floored that he did that and you know that's when you look at tape and the video coach is racking up and he goes i know i know i know you don't even need to (laughs) go back to it but yeah that was but that's part of the problem with him getting such limited ice time. And these are the things we talk about all the time with two track teams and can you develop and can you win and your best team every single night, uh, as opposed to getting the best team when playoffs roll around. If that's a guy that's playing consistent minutes every night, or at least had a consistent role when he was in the team, Mm -hmm. maybe he feels good about just ripping that there saying, I don't have to defer. I'm just me. I need to do what I'm out there to do. And you know, it's entirely possible. A young player still defers to Morgan Riley. Who's having an awesome season. But I I looked at that play last night and that feels like if he's in the lineup more consistently, he's just ripping it there. Yeah. I mean, the circumstances have not been perfect for him, but still four goals in his last six games with with no time. No, he's not getting any ice time. Okay. Let me, let me pause it this to you then. We think that. What do other teams think? Like, has he done anything at all? This is not, don't turn this into, there's your chip. All we've heard all year is the Leafs have nothing to play with and they got to give up their first and the Easton Cowan and Fraser Minton. Do you think that teams across the league are at all maybe more intrigued by Robertson than they were? It's better than the alternative, definitely. Well, yeah, better, <laughs> better than the alternative. But I think the way I've often looked at it is, if you're going to make a somewhat splashiest trade, you'd yeah. need to give a real asset, and then Robertson would be right, you know, like the little cherry on top or the little candy or whatever. I wonder if he's slowly becoming maybe more than that. Mm, I mean, if you're again, we talk about capped out teams. If you're a young team, like let's say I'm just going to pick a team, the Flyers. They're in playoff mm. position. Who knows what they end up doing? But Danny Briere, I think, is pretty clearly focused on not this year, but the future. Mm-hmm. They got, you know, their restricted or unrestricted free agent defenseman uh, uh, Walker on the back line there. If you're Briere, is that not a guy you'd say, hmm, I could put that in Philly. I could make that work. I, I, I am not sitting here trying to trade Nick Robertson. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm trying to do. But on a team that all I ever hear is, well, it's not, it's not Trelivy's fault. He just has nothing to trade with. I think that might be something. 
It might be something, but if I was an opposing team, I would look at the way this team that's desperate to win is is deploying its lineup, and that guy, like, he doesn't play, right? Like, he scores his goal, like, in, in under nine yeah. minutes a game, he just, he, he doesn't play, and he, even with the production, he's in and out of the lineup. If you want to be a good team, I mean, this supposed good well, team so, is, is is telling you that 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 he's not well he's not all the time in their their top 12 okay brad if you're making this call with the flyers just play this audio back yeah that's with sheldon keefe as his coach mm-hmm. where he is trying to extract every drop to win every game and not mm-hmm. that tortolo torts isn't trying to win every game but he's also building a program there in philly and you give him again a consistent role you say yeah you're going to make your mistake and you're going to sit down for a shift mm-hmm. or two but you're going to be in the lineup the next night, or maybe you skip one and then you come back in as you pay your penance. I, I, again, I don't take this as Nick Robertson is all of a sudden a crown jewel trade chip, but you see that last night, you look at the numbers, you look at the limited production. If I'm true living, I'm saying, yeah, that's on this team. We're a, I know, I know maybe you all don't think that out there. That's a good team. Mm-hmm. I'm it, theoretically, a team no, it's a good sales with, pitch. I mean, and yeah. So again, Tree, Sheldon Keefe at, the, the at, at the conclusion of yesterday's game, also doing a good job pumping up Nick Robertson's tires, Great talking about job, <laughs> but like basically a perfect game. And he played uh, in the limited time that he did play. Speaking of building up a program. All right. Back to the NFL for a second. The, the Detroit lions under Dan Campbell, the man Campbell. It has been progressively better year over year over year, culminating in this season, a return to the NFC championship game for the first time since 1991. Now that the bills are gone, like there is no debate that the lions are America's team or North America's team or mm-hmm. the world's team, right? Like if you have no rooting interest, who's not rooting for the lions to win it all and, and bring a championship to that city to that point, speaking of that city, Dan Campbell, uh, after advancing to the NFC Championship game, talked about the, the the DNA of his Lions team. You know, it's not the first thing you think of if you go to L.A. or just in general, right? You got the sun, you got the beach, you got plenty of other things going on. And here, man, man, it's harsh winters, right? Auto industry, blue collar. Um, things aren't always easy. Um, and I just think that's, you know, that's what we were about, and that that was, you know, you want something the city can be proud of. Though You can look at those guys and say, man, I can back that guy. I can back that team. You know, I can resonate with those group of guys. Um, you know, they're kind of salty. You know, they, they don't quit. They play hard. And so I, I feel like we've done that. And I think these guys, you know, they have a kinship with this city and this area, and they love it, man. And ultimately, that's what you want. God, who doesn't love Dan Campbell, right? And it's it's amazing. Yeah. You the winning has to come. Yes. And we definitely in the moment the kneecap biting stuff was it, it was fodder. Because it's the Lions. You're like, this is the guy the Lions hired. Yeah. And and we all had a good chuckle about it. And who's laughing now? It's it's Dan Campbell. That leader of men. That's yeah, it. no, he's he's turned himself into yeah, the 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 biggest leader I was, in the I, NFL. I was actually about to ask you that. Like, power-ranking leaders of men, he has to be number one. Yeah. It, it's... Who doesn't feel like running through a wall for Dan Campbell? I almost left. <laughs> Just <laughs> like Kool-Aid man right into the city news, newsroom. It's a, I, but, it, I mean, so that that clip got a lot of play on, on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. A lot of people sharing that one. And, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, look, it really... Because if you're a, a citizen of the city of Detroit... Oh. My goodness. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Because all those things are true, right? Like you're, Do cities have national anthems? Because that just became one. It's, it is a gritty city. It's, it's maybe yeah. on the short list of, of grittiest cities we think of in, yeah, in North America. Detroit and, and the hardships that they've mm. suffered with the downturn in the auto industry yeah. over the last few years. And certainly the harsh winters, which we can also uh, share in here in, in the city of Toronto. Um, it's cold. And there's like the Aiden Hutchinson is like around that yeah. area. But like it's okay. As a Michigan man, come on. All right, so like two things were resonating for me. It's like how sure. true is what he's talking about? That like, hey, this is a team that really does, you know, it it you look at those players, and you're like, that's me, or that's an sure. avatar for me. Sure. And two, does that matter? And three, does it matter more than winning? Like, what are we talking about? Not to be Mr. Cynical. Yeah, okay. Okay, but like, what what are you thinking when you hear Dan Campbell again, leader of men, maybe the greatest leader we have in pro sports right now? You honestly, first blush reaction when I think, hell yeah, that's what I think. The first second I I hear that, that is my first blush reaction. I, you're right in the sense of winning, of course, trumps all. Guess what? If that was a team of nothing but, uh, I don't know, let's pick like the most flashy player I can think of, Odell Beckham Jr. That was just a team full of Odell Beckham Juniors and or they all looked like Ryan Fitzpatrick when he came out to the podium wearing all of Deshaun Jackson's jewelry that one time. Like if, they, if that was the whole team, guess what? If they won a playoff game for the first time in a generation, it would not matter. But there is definitely something to what he is talking about. You know, Kyle Lowry for how beloved he is in this market. And so much of it is the backstory of the franchise and guys who had left and him being the one who stayed and that he eventually won here. But the Bulldog of Bay Street, taking charges. There's a certain mentality about that. Think about all the most popular players in this city specifically. It's Josh Donaldson in his peak. It's Doug Gilmore. It's Kyle Lowry. You know, Fred Van Vliet. It's always a soft spot for me with his chipped tooth and bloody eye. That's the stuff that I feel like, and I'm sure there are a lot of markets that say, uh, yeah, we love hard-nosed guys too. But, you know, as beloved as even Austin Matthews is, I don't know that he's, and, and I don't want to turn this into who's a more beloved, but there's a reason Kyle Lowry's on a like similar level, even though they're not remotely close in terms of what they are as players. And yeah, part of it's the championship. A lot of it is, but it's also what you represent. We think of those Leaf teams. Yeah, we think of Sundin. Think of Crazy Eyes Tucker and Roberts with his black eyes. And there is something about that that resonates. So you don't care what the mentality is and the makeup. And yeah, if Dan Campbell was talking about eating kneecaps while they marched to the three-win season, nobody would be sitting here saying, yeah, but they're, they're like us. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what people would be doing. But I think you have to look at a team and say, of course, if there is a, you know, kinship like he said or there's you know shared values or you just feel like you see a bit of yourself in it of course how can that not pull you in and suck in more yeah of course i was thinking about the leafs here of course obviously (laughs) right and it it uh um there are leaf teams of recent vintage that haven't won stanley cups but are absolutely beloved in the city like forever And, and part of that might be that there's you know, this team hasn't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the bar for success is lower than perhaps other markets. But I do think there's also, yeah, this, this, I, I'm, it's not unquantifiable. It's quantifiable. Yeah. Like, they're, they're just tougher teams, teams that look like they left it all on the ice. But I don't think this is an, a, a, a unique experience here in the city of Toronto. Now, I will say, Dan Campbell's right to point out, like, L.A. Yeah. or, like, San Diego. Well, that's, yeah, San Diego would not. Honestly, any warm weather locale, yeah. like yeah. Miami. Where they don't care. Yeah. yeah, and who can blame them? <laughs> Life is good, right? 
it's it's minus 10 here where it's it's beautifully sunny and 30 degrees there. Yep. And and yeah, you if you choose not to focus your attention towards sports, there are other things to do. I mean, there are, I guess, the people no. in the city of Toronto do other things. Yeah, Joey Votto's playing chess or something. I, I, guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how those other people live. I have but no like, idea. This, this is it. We just talked. We started the show with, like, we out skating, and that just, was great. Yeah. And we're watching sports. Just go and inside I, to play sports, come inside to watch them. And certainly if you're listening to the sound of our voice, yeah, of like, that's you. a very common experience, I would say, in the city of Toronto. Yeah. But for a lot of people who live in cold-weather mm-hmm. locales, all you want, though, really, and, and sure, you can make them your avatar because you think you're hardworking, is it's, it's, it's athletes that look like they're trying their hardest. Care. That's Just it. care. Please care. That look like they care. The Jeb Bush, please clap, please care. And, and, and the Leafs definitely care. I guarantee you the Leafs care. And Mitch mm-hmm. Marner cares, and Austin Matthews cares, and William Nylander cares, and John Tavares cares. They all care. Problem is, though, when you're a skill-type player, when it, the puck doesn't go in the back of the net or you're not producing, like yep. it's just harder to demonstrate to everybody you care as opposed to like those physical players who, you know, are bloodied or or covered in dirt or whatever. It's just, that's all we want. We want you're, people to care. You're so right. And, you know, I guess we can just, unless you have something else to say, we can end it on this note. But no. the Marner, it's funny you mentioned the Leafs and, you know, Marner, and he has definitely worn the, does he care too much? Does he want to, whatever. We've done this a million times. Go back to the infancy of his playoffs as a Leaf. This guy's blocking shots at the mm-hmm. top of the circle. And guess what? That's still my favorite Mitch Marner playoff moment. Right. This is a guy who scored big goals. I've all come in the first three games of a series, mind you. But mm-hmm. this guy who scored big goals, had big moments. And the thing I still close my eyes and think about, what if I close my eyes and think about Mitch Marner in the playoffs, it is him blocking shots, trying to get to the bench in that Boston series. And you think, wow, look at this. If you can meld the skill with that, this guy's going to be an all-time Leaf. And he still very much has the possibility to mm-hmm. be, but that's what gets you to that other special level. God, what a great graphic they showed on the broadcast yesterday. Austin Matthews and among the league leaders in block shots mm-hmm. among forwards with his 38 goals as yeah. well. Quickly rising the ranks as far as uh, the most beloved uh, Toronto athletes. I'd say. All right, when we come back, talk about those aforementioned Leafs with uh, Jason Bukala, Sportsnet hockey analyst next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Leafs capped their four-game road trip with a 3-1 win in Seattle yesterday against the Kraken, which uh, felt very important for a number of different reasons. But uh, most pressing was getting the two points Mm. against a mm, very mediocre at best uh, Kraken team, but a Kraken team missing a bunch of players due to flu-like symptoms. I thought you were going to be a good friend and say most most pressingly because of my mental health. You know how much Mm. I I put it in uh, Leafs wins and losses, and I couldn't couldn't do it. A one and three road trip it's just couldn't happen. It's uh, it's an interesting conversation today. If the Leafs uh, lose that game, and yeah, not a lot of work for Ilya Samsonov, but uh, when he was tested, uh, there were some high quality opportunities. Let's talk to uh, our pal Jason Bukala, sports and hockey analyst. Uh, how's it going, Jason? Good morning, fellas. Doing well out here on the East Coast, getting ready for the uh, CHL top prospects game. So as much as I tried to stay up as late as I could to watch all of the Leaf game last night, it was getting a little late. <laughs> 
No, understandable, man. Here, let me let me give you a super quick Coles notes uh, of the third period. Very little shots for the Kraken. Uh, all of them felt like they were from inside of the crease uh, when they did get their looks. Uh, Sammy was great, standing on his head. There's a little Coles notes of the third period for you, Jason. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. We love. How, we, listen, we 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 always feel bad making people do the radio show. Listen, everybody's they're well within the rights to say no, but like this is the ideal when you're on the East Coast and it's it's a. It's 8.35 in the morning. No problem uh, for you in, in Moncton, uh, New Brunswick this morning, Jason. Oh, totally adjusted, for sure. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, maybe yesterday notwithstanding, because they did get the goaltending, how much of the Leafs' problems this season, and they're still in a playoff spot, and now still in a, a top three position in the Atlantic Division, how much of the Leafs' problems this season uh, specifically come down to goaltending and special teams. The Leafs now eighth uh, in the NHL in power play percentage. They're a bottom 10 team in penalty kill and the save percentage as a whole under 900. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good synopsis of where they kind of stand. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, your penalty kill percentage goes up exponentially when you're getting huge saves at the key moments of games. And, and you know, obviously on the penalty kill, that's, that's really important, and they they went through a stretch there, you know, where um, you know, as a whole. Well, let's 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 really put it in perspective. Though. Let's be fair here. Like um, their defense, when they play uh, a, a really good, quick, uh, puck moving team that's got a lot of motion on their on their power play. You know, if they move it to the middle bumper, they move it back to the flank really quick. You know what I mean? Like a team that's pinballing around. Yep. Um, they're challenged down low in their zone, guys, to to take away time and space as well in front to play. Like their mobility is challenged, right? So um, it's not all goaltending that way. It, it is. It's kind of you know what they have personnel wise to work with. And you know, there's Jordanos of the world. They're they're trying. They're they're giving everything they have. There's absolutely no doubt. And he's a proficient shot blocker historically. But you got to get in the way now. And at his age, it gets harder and harder in the back half of games. You know. Simon Benoit, listen, he's made more than his fair share of cash this year on that contract. Like he's he's far exceeded what I thought he was capable of uh, providing. But he's long and rangy, not real quick, not real. His recoveries are are average if he gets out too wide. So what I'm trying to paint here is a picture of uh, reality. It's 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 multi-tiered responsible or responsibilities on the penalty kill. Um, you know, the, the power play can go in streaks. Uh, obviously it looks dangerous even when they're not scoring to be fair there as well. But, um, results speak for themselves guys. Like it's, um, you know, the, the win last night is predictable based on how this kind of team trends in and out of, uh, top opponents versus, uh, uh, mid range opponents. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely uh, something to be to be said there, and I think you nailed it with the idea of just like when this Leafs decor. This is actually a point you've been kind of bringing up with us all year long, right? Uh, you made as well with uh, Loggerson when he was in the lineup earlier as well, but with Benoit, you know, when they can kind of work in tight spaces and just use their big frame, they're they're in a good spot. But when they got to get chasing, it's obviously uh, far from the the kind of strength of their game. And the guys who are good at chasing on the Leafs D, maybe not so good at the the other things there. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a good point you you bring up. You know, we've we've talked 
talked a lot about the roller coaster ride that's been Samsonov. In terms of how long you need to see something before you're a believer again, and, you know, there's kind of two conversations. I think everybody expects the Leafs to go back to him on Wednesday night. I also don't know that people are saying it's Samsonov's net with an exclamation point yet. How many of these games in a row do you need to see from him before you say, okay, yeah, you're kind of back to at the very least 1B when when Joe Wall gets back here. I mean, they don't really have any options between now and then, so maybe that works out well for Samsonov as well, not having to kind of look over his shoulder. Like, what is your read on on what we'll, we'll see from him or what the team needs to see from him in the next uh, week or so here, maybe two weeks before Joe Wall comes back? Well, a couple of different answers. I mean, what, what we what we want to see from him is just, you know, the consistency to make the saves that he's supposed to make. And then if he can come up with uh, one or two grade A stops to, to give us that, that feeling that he's capable in tight games or, you know, uh, in key situations and games that he can come up with that clutch save. Um, I'm not even close to christening him as a 1B yet. Like a couple starts does not provide me that type of confidence um I, i'm pulling for him like i want him to do well it's 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 not like i'm sitting here saying hey you know i don't want this guy to succeed but the reality is that my confidence um bottomed out and and so did his obviously but uh it's just going to take time and and i i need to run guys of at least uh at this time of year minimum five quality starts in a row before i get them back in that type of uh, category so still a little bit of a runway uh, before I get to that stage, but uh, I don't know. I'm not, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just play it by ear. I guess is the best way to put it. I'm just taking it one day at a time between the years with him. Yeah. Uh, it seems like that's uh, that's the case with the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending plan going forward. Uh, Leafs next in action on Wednesday at home against the Winnipeg Jets. So Tyler Bertuzzi is sitting on six goals this season. Jason, he has a cap hit of $5 million. Is looking at uh, the cap-friendly list of, of players all making at least $5 million against the cap or, or more. Only six players with a cap hit of that size have uh, fewer goals than Tyler Bertuzzi. We know this is a guy that you know last year didn't put up big goal totals, but certainly put up big point totals in the postseason with the Boston Bruins. He's also a former 30-goal scorer. How have you evaluated the early returns on Tyler Bertuzzi's uh, first season as a Maple Leaf? He just hasn't looked comfortable to me, his entire body of work. There's been moments, but, uh, you know, the entirety of it, he's never looked like he's been, he looks like he's chasing it sometimes, like trying to force it. And I think he would probably admit that too. He's squeezing the stick a little bit and he needs a break. And, and some of the, you know, in Edmonton, think back to the beginning of the road trip, that, uh, that net front tip off the, right. you know, oh the my quick God. play. I mean, that's just bad luck, fellas. I mean, you know, like, honestly, like you're not going to see a puck uh, bound off a post that quickly and come back at you that quickly very often. That's just a bad break. Um, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with this compete. His impact is obviously, you know, disjointed. And um, I just don't, he just feels like he's skating around, but there's not a lot of, there's not a plan. Like there's, there's not a lot of purpose there. Well, he's trying to implement purpose, but I just don't know where it's at. Like there's no comfort level where I can say, okay, like he's, uh, he's, a, he's working off the cycle or he's a net front guy, or, you know, he's an off the rush guy. Like he's, he's undefined that way for me, although he's trying to compete as hard as he can. So um, to make matters worse, you know, if you look at what, uh, you know, we ship the Sam Lafferty out of town, mm-hmm. and Lafferty's Lafferty's got I think ten and sixteen, something right. like that. And 
and he's making obviously far less change. And then on top of it, Lafferty's like a plus 16. So, uh, you know, that's, that gives you a little bit of uh, pause for thought. Yeah, not a. Uh, I don't. I haven't looked at it. I can't imagine there's a ton of uh, minuses floating around in in Vancouver. It's been going uh, pretty well for them. But yeah, I'd be lying if I hadn't had that uh, Sam Lafferty thought. Uh, well, early and quite frankly, often uh, th- this season, especially uh, since Fraser Minton pretty quickly ended up uh, back uh, back in the dub, and that's where he uh, uh, that that was the effectively the decision that that was made there. You know, it, it, you you mentioned Lafferty, and he's obviously somebody who would give in this team a little bit of a, a pop there. You know, the Bertuzzi thing you mentioned about the lack of a role as well and I kind of noticed it last night on one play in particular and you know I didn't want to bring this up but you you mentioned it now and I think it's as good a place as any I don't know if you remember this but they had the stretch in the second period where they are just hemming in Seattle the defensemen were stuck out there for two and a half minutes at one point in time and Bertuzzi has a chance to get in on the four check and you know hem this guy in and look it's possible he doesn't go in and they, they break it out and it goes back the other way anyways but he goes off for a change at that moment and that just to me looked like a guy who again is uncertain of his role going okay you know what, I'm going to do the safe thing here. I can't get in trouble for changing while the puck is in the defensive or in the offensive zone and we keep this cycle going and get fresh bodies out there. But I think what Tyler Bertuzzi did his best, he goes in there and, you know, I don't want to overstate, he's not going to wallpaper a guy, but puts a lick on a guy, four checks. That's the best version of him. And I, I see that too. It just does feel like a guy who's a little bit kind of stuck in between. Do you look at that as more on the player? Do you think that's on the coach having kind of bounced him around and not found a, a true spot for him? Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to phrase it as a who deserves more blame, but what do you think is the reason for that? No, I think that's a really good observation. So maybe a little bit of confidence, but more importantly, that's a, that's a situation like when you're scouting a player, that's, that's a little bit of a lack of, a, not a little bit, that's a lack of awareness at where your opponent is in their shift. And then obviously where you are in terms of being able to make an impact right in that moment. And I think, you know, when when you got a team that's been hemmed in or they're getting worn down, when you're a confident player, and even if you're a secondary scorer, but you're playing with confidence, let's say physically, um, you know, or you're doing like some, some, you got some growl on the wall, stuff like that. When you're playing confident, you don't go off for a change there. You recognize that you have a tired opponent and you go in for the kill, if you will. So um, that that's a perfect example of, uh, you know, I don't think that the coach in that situation is necessarily going to say, you know, we need you off the ice, you know, to be responsible. We don't want them going the other way. There's no chance they were going the other way. So that's where we need you to elevate and have an impact. And uh, there's a disconnect. That's a great example of a disconnect. Uh, the power play has been disconnected recently. One for their last 15. This is a, a power play that was second in the NHL last season, only behind the Oilers' all-time great power play of over 30% last year. They were clicking at over 26% a season ago. They're eighth in the NHL right now. Uh, it started off pretty well, and Guy Boucher is also in charge of six-on-five, and they've been really good, six-on-five. Um, but, yeah, the power play is supposed to be one of the major weapons utilized by by this Leafs team. How much of... Of the lack of success, do, do, do you pin on uh, strategy? Like, you know, we, we talk about things that are controllable, and coaching is one of those things because, hey, what are you going to do, not put your, your top four high-paid forwards on the ice at, at one time? How much of it, though, does come down to coaching and strategy? Well, coaches at this level are forever making adjustments. There's no question about that. And, you know, so I, I actually don't think so. I think Guy Boucher has got enough tools in the, in the chest there that he can make some adjustments. And then it's just the, the group has to execute. Um, you know, it's, 
the power play at the NHL level, especially when you're grinding for wins, um, it's so important. I get it. I don't think this is a coaching issue. I think it's just an execution issue. I think that they have enough there that they can still go on a run here or there, and they're going to need to, guys. Like, they're right on the fringe of being, like, what are we? Are we uh, Are we a three? Are we in? Are we out? You know, because this isn't a team that should be buying it come playoff or come uh, trade deadline. So these things become even more important. Like your, your top dog's got to produce on the power play, but um, I don't think it's a coaching issue. I think again, it's just, uh, I've noticed more recently, you know, even since Willie signed his contract, you know, um, you know, the buy-in hasn't been as consistent even since that's happened. And we can pinpoint the contract maybe, or, you know, you could come up with a variety of things, but that's this team. Like let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. This team, they're in and out sometimes. And that's, that includes the power play. Yeah, if I was uh, Nylander, I'd certainly be leaking that it was something else because I think a lot of people are drawing eyeballs uh, to the uh, the contract coming in and the, the team's dip. And I don't know that that's uh, fair, but it uh, certainly is happening in terms of that conversation. Uh, last one for me but before we let you go. Matthew Nice, he's a guy we've kind of been doing check-ins with you all, all season long as well. You know, there is a belief of some people that you kind of want to slowly build him as the year goes on. It seems like more what's been happening is a pushing him up in the lineup and using him back and then slowly having him work his way back up. I, I thought he was great last night, which was nice because I, I feel like he had a, a couple of down games before that. Uh, what are you made of what they've seen out of Nyes and where do you think uh, he ultimately kind of fits best in this lineup? He definitely has to fit in your top six and he's definitely got to play to his strengths, which we've talked about for a couple of years, haven't we? Even when he was in Minnesota, which yep. is you know, extending plays and being that big body presence. And, and I don't need him to score per se. I need him to be able to get in the way and absorb a couple of checks to open up space for the other skill guys. Um, I've seen him, uh, you know, people, we have to remember he's a first year, first year full pro. He's just, he's, this is his first year through the league. Um, first year in a lot of buildings. He's never seen some of these buildings. Um, and he's been ping-ponged around a little bit recently. So I think it's just part of the growth process. Um, let's be patient with it. Let's not over. Let's not overanalyze it. And I think we're all guilty of that. We can overhype it when he comes in, and we can overanalyze it when he has a bad week or two or, or even a mediocre week or two. So um, just be patient. It's fine. Top six is where he fits. Uh, and that's, that's where he's going to be at his best. And that's where the Leafs are going to uh, eventually, I believe, find a full-time slot for him. Uh, Jason, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Anytime, fellas. I'll, uh, I'll go up for some oysters and lobsters tonight to celebrate this phone call. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, well done. Yeah, I'm sure that's the, the reason you're going to be doing that. <laughs> See you, Jason. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on. All right, you too. There's Jason Bukala, Sportsnet hockey analyst uh, out in Moncton, New Brunswick, getting ready for the CHL top prospects game. So the, the lines were shuffled mm. yet again yesterday. Shuffled right back to where we started with them. Yes, that's right. Uh, I also would like to point out that Jason, it, he he is right that he's celebrating. It's just he is now the farthest he will ever be away from having to talk to us again. Like this that's very true. moment. That's yeah. what he's going out to celebrate uh, now. Yeah, in terms of it, yeah, what, you, what you've seen there uh, from, from this group, it's been... It's been up and down. It's been frustrating. And it's so funny, too, because you can point to so many different guys on the team and be like, mm, you're kind of a microcosm of this leaf season. Matthew Nye is kind of a perfect example. We have the game against Pittsburgh where he's fighting and scoring how hat tricks. And you think, ah, here it comes. And we've had games where he, you know, could quite frankly have been sat down because he just hasn't been that that impactful. So I feel like there's a lot of guys you could point to. We talked about Robertson in a kind of similar vein. Yeah, interesting there for sure. I mean, how many great Tyler Bertuzzi games, though, have we talked about? One. 
the first one. That was it. E- oh, no, and you got the belt in yeah, Sweden, but I feel okay. like that was just them being like, uh, you got to get the belt because we gave you money. Right. So here's the thing. It's like you can you can have the conversation about Matthew Nyes being a first-year pro player mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. growing into his role. Mm-hmm. I mean, even he has two more goals than yep. Tyler Bertuzzi. I, yeah, I know, like, we do this thing where we're like, Tyler Bertuzzi is a perennial 30. He did that once, mm-hmm. right? He did that once, and yep. he didn't have a ton of goals during the course of the regular season in a couple of different sp- spots mm-hmm. last year. And the reason Leafs, I think, went out and got him was because yep. the 11 points, albeit in a losing effort in seven games against the Florida Panthers in the first round last year, but it's making $5 million bucks. Yeah. He's not five, playing. Five. With, he's, he's not playing with some chumps here, nope. right? Like he's he's been with Nylander and Tavares basically all season long, and not the Tavares that's currently riding a seven-game pointless streak. This is a, he was great last night. Yep, he was, and like he's throwing a bazillion shots mm-hmm. on goal. Right, eventually it's going to go in for Got him. Got the Corsi up, baby. Um, and yeah, William Nylander has been riding mm-hmm. a multitude of double-digit point streaks throughout the course of the season. This is a guy that's seventeen points and eight yep. goals, and it's it, like. Okay, it's all going to be erased from our memory mm-hmm. if when the Leafs get to the postseason, he's the reason they get through a couple of rounds or whatever. Yep. But at this point, it's hard not to put him on the short list of uh, head-scratching, not-so-great deals uh, in the early tenure of Brad Living. That's the whole list. You show me outside of the Simone Benoit one, what's the what's the move that you're, you're screaming from the rooftops saying, way to go? Martin Jones, I suppose, as well, but we all think that's kind of found money. Mm-hmm. This is the, like, I don't want to do this every show, but it kind of comes up all the time. And what's the good move? Like, Max Domi's been the home run of the group, and he's been fine. Like, yeah, you've got fine. some good moments out of Max Domi, but he's Max Domi, and he's been fine. He's got been, Austin oh, Matthews signed, and I, William Neal entered the, to the most okay. uh, money okay. that you could have possibly conceived him uh, resigning to. I'm going to give him credit for signing Austin Matthews and just move on from the William Nylander part of that because I don't want to do this every show but yeah there's definitely something to be said there I mean 5-5 five, five for that 4-1 for Klingberg 1-3 for Revo add it all up that's almost an Eric Carlson like mm. like it's ridiculous and I want to be clear they should not have traded for Carlson I'm just picking the most expensive guy who was recently traded that I could think of it's wild how little he has fit in but I will say see him bloody mouth in the Canucks game mm-hmm. and he's lying in the crease and he's spitting mad at the refs. Just give me that in the playoffs. We mm-hmm. talked about it with Dan Campbell. That's what I want. And if it comes in a win, mm-hmm. you're always going to smile thinking of that. Got to get there first. Yes, uh, you do. Yeah. Money. And they will. I guess money puck has them at uh, 74.7% chance of making the playoffs. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, it's fine. It's probably you'd want that a little bit higher as we're past the midway point in the season. It'll be a hundred percent come April. Okay. I, I tend to think so as well. They're like an injury away from things getting very precarious, though. All right. Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bat Logo. We haven't talked about the Raptors who have still fallen exist. on hard times since uh, all the glowing reviews of the trade and still feel that way. It's just mm-hmm. like, be fun if they like won a basketball game every now, nice. and, now and then. Uh, well, they got an opportunity and a lot on the line tonight against the Memphis Grizzlies team that's battling tooth and nail with them to get out of the bottom six in the NBA standings. Why is that important? Because the Raptors' first-round pick is mm-hmm. top six protected. Anywho, uh, Raptors at home against the John Morantless Grizzlies and favored quite heavily. Seven-and-a-half-point favorites. The total in this game, 226-and-a-half, Brent. Give me the over. Raptors like to run it up. I know the Grizz are kind of struggling, especially no Morant. Could be hard to score. Yeah, take the over here. Let's go. Run it up at home. Get a win. I'm less confident about the win than them scoring a lot of points, though. Yeah, I I like the over as well, but I, I will say, like, eventually, like, I don't care 
necessarily about losing to good teams in the Eastern Conference, like your Celtics and... Mm. You know, they beat the Heat after the Pascal Siakam trade, and I guess the Knicks now fancy themselves the top four team in the Eastern Conference. You need to beat the bad opponents. They beat this team with John Morant in the lineup at most recent uh, interaction between these two. So I would actually lay the seven and a half points, but I also like the over in this game as well. That was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back... Yeah, it was a great game in Buffalo, but if you're a Bills fan, you'd probably soon like to forget it. Uh, We'll talk to somebody who was there. Go to the scene of the crime! Uh, We'll talk to Aditi Akinka Bala, uh, Westwood One sideline reporter for yesterday's game. As the fan morning show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.